CB On Air, cutting-edge conversations with those in the central banking community. Hi, I'm Dan Hinge, news editor at Central Banking, and this is CB On Air. In the past four episodes, we've been through several aspects of the post-crisis world. This week, we'll be discussing macroprudential tools, the instruments central banks can actively wield to tackle imbalances in the financial sector. But how should the tools be used for maximum effect? And might there be side effects? We have Professor Andrew Metrick of Yale University here to unpack the issues. Thanks for joining us again, Andrew. Thank you for having me. So, in your view, what have been some of the most successful uh, macroprudential innovations? Well, I would say that that the thing that has me most encouraged is that there's been a, a, a global effort to set up a system whereby large financial institutions can fail without taking the rest of the system down with them. So this is not so much a peacetime tool, but a tool for what to do in the in the time of crisis. Now, we haven't worked out exactly how these things uh, will operate. And uh, with luck, we won't have the opportunity to see how they operate for a while. But there's been some thought made. And in, in Europe, uh, it, it began with the, the BRRD. In the United States, with uh, Titles One and Two of the Dodd-Frank Act, uh, and throughout the rest of the world, in, in, in the participation in supervisory colleges that cross borders much more effectively than they did, about how we could handle the insolvency of a large financial institution. And in this case, if you, a lot of the problems that we saw in the, last, in the global financial crisis uh, were, were exacerbated tremendously by the, the complex and messy way that large institutions failed from from Lehman Brothers to the whole country of Iceland uh, and their largest banks to Dexia and Fortis uh, and to the near failure of AIG. So these things, I think, this to me is the most hopeful uh, sign. Uh, I've also have been very pleased to see how how carefully thought out and and um, ambitious we've been in terms of the the bail-in rules uh, and the TLAC rules that will enable banks perhaps not to fail, but to to move in a much more efficient way from being slightly troubled to being well capitalized. So in those respects, I, I, I think that great progress has been made. In a lot of other places, it's too early to tell. Uh, I would say that that things that central banks are now imagining doing things like uh, changing things such as as imposing countercyclical buffers kind of widely on the entire system or changing the rules like loan to value rules around certain triggers. These things, I think, might prove to be very useful. But it's still too early to know, and we don't have the kind of empirical evidence that we have from years and years of monetary policy uh, to know whether or not they're effective. I think I can probably guess the answer to the next question, but uh, would you say central banks have enough tools to prevent the next downturn? I would say the answer to that now is no in terms of, in terms of preventing, and, and, and it's no for two reasons. Uh, one is... I think that the tool that we need that's most important that we don't yet have that will most help with prevention is some kind of tool that allows central banks as part of their normal operations to issue themselves safe securities 
and to exchange them for securities that uh, that that are substitutes, but not perfect substitutes. So, for example, the ability to issue some kind of uh, uh, e- either treasury securities or government securities from their balance sheets or perhaps their own interest-bearing notes in re- and to exchange them for things that have been manufactured by the financial sector that, we, that might be sort of securitized bonds or high-grade corporate debt. And I think that's just a very important regular instrument, and it needs to be part of the arsenal of central banks. And I think we are still a long way away from the kind of intellectual consensus that would enable us to get the authority in all places to be able to do that. So that, that, that's the biggest tool that's missing, in my view, for prevention. But second, I would say that um, it, it's probably not the case that, that we want to have a system that gives us a 0% chance of having a financial crisis. Because a system that gave us a 0% chance of having a financial crisis would almost, by definition, be one of great financial repression. And there remains a trade-off between having a financial system that has enough flexibility to fund growth um, and, having, and having a certain amount of risk that that financial system could go haywire. And so while I think given however much risk we want to take, there are optimal ways to set up our system to, cre- to, to manage that risk. And I don't think we're there yet. For, for, for The main thing missing is what I mentioned before. I don't think the optimal number is going to be zero, and I think actually we do ourselves a disservice when we, when we really refuse to focus on what our crisis-fighting tools would be during peacetime, during quiet times, because we think that the only thing we can tell the public is that there won't be another financial crisis, because I think that that is not true, and that someday there will be, and if we're not willing to have a discussion an open discussion outside of crisis time about what our tools will be, then we're going to make it ever more difficult to fight the crisis in real time. That sounds like a, a sensible stance to me. Um, <laughs> is is there a is there a conflict between macroprudential and monetary policy tools uh, and a, a sort of objectives? Um, they seem to operate to some extent, at least through the same channels, kind of impacting credit and risk taking. Yes, I mean there there most certainly can be in some cases. I mean you can have a case where where you think the economy is uh, overheating a little bit and it's overheating from the credit side, and then monetary policy and the macroprudential tools uh, would work in the same direction. But you can also have a situation where the the monetary authority might be quite concerned about uh, about a downturn and quite actively trying to loosen. While on the financial stability side, you have a really large concern about the debt burden, uh, and you fear that a loosening will make that w- 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 will make that worse, or you might have concerns about some pockets, some specific markets that are frothy, even if the overall economy is not. So, so we can see conflict, and I, I think nobody has quite sorted out what those trade-offs are. I think it's quite clear that that you can't deal with those trade-offs using only one instrument. So using only, say, the blunt instrument of, of monetary policy or interest rate targets uh, is not going to be sufficient to deal with multiple objectives. But um, we haven't quite figured out how to get these, uh, how to balance these things. And in part, uh, we lack a really good model, <laughs> a really good macro model that, that 
enables us to know how the, these different instruments will interact and and uh, uh, get us to move forward towards all of our objectives. And lastly, how should we balance tools that need to be used proactively against the kind of more passive system resilience, um, such as higher capital requirements? Well, I would say that we need both, and we have to be very careful if we rely too much on one or the other. And I do fear that the pendulum has swung a little bit too far towards the passive system resilience tools, such as higher capital. Um, for one reason, the levels of capital that would be necessary to to really prevent a financial crisis completely would be so high that they would lead to some form of repression. Uh, but second, I think the way that we're able to impose these passive, uh, these 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 passive forms of prevention uh, do tend to force some of these financial activities outside of the traditional regulatory umbrella. So there's a limit to what we can do with prevention and with the tools we have at our disposal. And to some extent, we have pulled back both under the formal legal rules, but also given the political climate on our ability to take active measures. Thanks very much. You're welcome. Welcome.